Live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. In a part of the state where if you were going to play college basketball, you were going to play for Texas. Texas and A&M had a tradition. Bobby Knight eventually came in at Texas Tech. In a conference where there were some powerhouses, but it wasn't Baylor. And as you now know, last night, big win. And Arkansas, all love and respect, man. You guys threw everything you had at Baylor. Baylor's ability to win that game and make its first Final Four since 1950 really spoke to the, to the grit of both teams. Arkansas was down double digits in every game in this tournament. And yesterday was the one game they didn't come back from, but they almost did. Down 18 in the first half, cut it to a manageable lead at halftime, got it down to what I think four in that second half. I want to take you back in time a little bit, though, to, to what Scott Drew put together. You know, we all know the story of, of the turnaround, of the horror, of the awfulness. I've got, I think, a little bit of insight into how Scott Drew did this. And it's worth, I think it's just worth talking about in, in, in some detail. So I'm going to give you just a, a, a quick look in, into the philosophy Scott Drew adapted, why he turned out to be the perfect person for that job. And then we had Scott on, on my show that I host here on CBS Sports Radio in the mornings last week, and he gave us some insight on this team. But Scott Drew made a very deliberate decision to lean into, really embrace, because it's a part of his, his worldview, the fact that Waco is a very religious Baptist university. That, that's a part of what they are. And, and when Drew got down to Waco, his vision for this, what he foresaw was to do with people of that religious persuasion, that worldview of Christianity, what maybe Notre Dame, as, as a good example, had done for folks who were Catholic, or, or what BYU had done for its own faith, to make it the destination for people and parents who wanted their kids to continue in that Christian tradition, that Baptist tradition, and, and to build a basketball program on top of it. And, and I went down, and I can't remember when, 12, 13 years ago, 14 years ago, to spend some time with, with Scott Drew in that, that Baylor program. Didn't know Scott from Adam. And look, I'm a religious guy. I, I, I'm, I'm a Catholic, and so I don't talk. I'm a little more private about it, right? Like, for example, I, I don't personally pray when I go out to eat. Like, I, take the, I took the kids to dinner yesterday. Whenever I do the Jim Rome show, because it's ridiculous I get to do this, and some of you agree, but I'm with you. I think it's amazing. We go out for a nice dinner to celebrate. We went to a place called Fishing with Dynamite in Manhattan Beach, California yesterday, right? Pulled out the credit card I'm not going to look at as a result for about three or four weeks and celebrated. And what I didn't do is break everything down for the kids and, and, and get into prayer. First time I went to Waco, and those of you in Waco will know where this is, some sort of brew pub that has a breakfast place in, in the very small but, but, but charming downtown area of, of Waco, Texas. Scott Drew walks in, shakes my hand, super charming. All college basketball coaches are charming. And then goes, hey, let's, let's, you know, let's, do a, let's, do a, let's bless the food. I'm like, okay, I've been through this. He's going to like lower the head, little, you know, sign of the cross, we'll do our thing. No, no, man, this was like, hallelujah, hallelujah, thank you for the oatmeal. It was a whole thing. And I'll admit a little, a little I'm a little judgmental, right? I try not to judge people's religiosity, but, but I'm not accustomed to sort of that public display of religion. And in my experience, sometimes people who do that, I'm not buying it. And I certainly was aware that, it, that in Waco, Texas, that had been a religious institution from its founding, and it was the source of the most horrific scandal in the history, maybe, of college sports. I wasn't buying what Scott Drew was selling. Spent a week there, was around his program, went to church with him, met his wife, met his children, and slowly but surely I realized, wow, this guy's for real. What he, what he believes in is actually real to him. 
And it was the beginning of misunderstanding Scott Drew for me. And everybody misunderstood Scott Drew. Let me also, he's going to be celebrated today. Let me tell you this. Coaches hated him so much in the Big 12. This is true, and I know Scott wouldn't like me telling it, but it is what it is. It's true. That I once, when I was a reporter, I think at the Kansas City Star, maybe I was a columnist nationally at that point. I can't remember. I had enough relationships that I called guys. I called coaches around the country and mostly in the Big 12. It's like, explain it to me. Like, I like Scott, but explain to me why everybody hates him. And the explanation I got from, from one of his, one of his competitor, competitors in the Big 12 was this. One, losing to Baylor gets you fired. Right? Think about how bad a program is that if you lose to that team, you can be fired. And what that means is a turnaround. And two, people didn't find him genuine. It just turned out that he was. And three, Bobby Knight. The can By the way, can we just celebrate the exit of cantankerous old men from the tournament? If Coach K and Cal, I know Bayheim made a run. Bayheim and Bobby Knight's gone, but the Bobby Knight sort of paradigm of college sports never returns to the podium at an Elite Eight or Sweet 16. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I like the joy of, of Scott Drew and the happiness and the kindness. People call it softness. That's just misunderstanding the guy. I like Kelvin Sampson crying after the game because he turned around his own career. It's beautiful. I misunderstood Scott, Scott Drew, and so did a lot of people. We, people didn't see what he was. And, and one more anecdote from that time. I had this sort of unfettered access to, to the program. So I was in five or six consecutive days of tape sessions, right, where they, they play tape from games, they play tape from practice. And, and I had spent over the last year a lot of time covering college hoops. So I had, and I love Frank Martin. In South Carolina, do the right thing and keep him. I had um, I had spent some time around Frank. Frank dropped more F-bombs in practices, and he let me into his locker room at games, sit on the bench, than a Quentin Tarantino film. Loved, 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 uh, absolutely, his players. But it was an aggressive, angry approach, right? And it worked, and it connected. Bill Self, pretty aggressive guy. Not the same way, more like mind games and the charm given and taken away. And, and in that... In that session with Scott Drew, with, with the memory and the access of, of how Bill Self did his thing and how Frank Martin did his thing, Scott Drew didn't criticize his players. When assistant coaches would sort of call them out for things, Scott would sort of, oh, it's okay. And I remember thinking, oh, Scott's a little too soft for this because I misunderstood Scott Drew. He understood 10 years ahead of schedule the direction things were going. Player empowerment. Can't treat kids a certain way. You have to get them to buy in. If they like you and they love you, they'll run through a wall for you. If they fear you... There's a limit to that. What Scott Drew has built at Baylor is a reflection of who Scott Drew is. And, and yesterday on, the, on this show, I made the case, and I, and I mean it, that, that Mike Woodson at Indiana has to be given a lot of time, three, four, five years, right? And I think I used Dabo Sweeney as an example. Let me, Scott Drew is an example. Scott Drew comes into the worst situation maybe in the history of sports, and he goes 8-21 and 21 his first year. And I'm sure people say, oh, okay, well, that's, that's going to happen. But nobody cares what you've inherited. Nobody cares what you've gone through. People have very short memories. Year two, Scott Drew wins nine games. Year two, nine and 19. Year three, four and 13. That's usually when if you're not fired, you're certainly getting near the hot seat. Year four, 15 and 16. They gave Scott Drew five years to just scratch out respectability. Made the tournament in his fifth year in that job. Made some elite aids, made some runs, had some good teams. But here we are right now in this Final Four. And some of it's because what Scott Drew put together, how he leaned into what Baylor is about, how he saw an opening to recruit a very specific kind of kid from a very specific part of American culture. That is the story of success. And so is Scott Drew doing the hardest thing there is to do when you're an emperor, right? Because when, when you're an emperor in, the, in these small towns, when you're a college football or basketball coach who's successful in a small town, 
Closed, no closed, nobody's calling you on it, nobody's telling you. You can do whatever the hell you want to do. And a lot of times you see guys who have approaches that just don't evolve, they don't change. Scott Drew's approach used to be, I'm going to recruit tall kids, they're going to be athletic, we're not going to shoot quite as well, but we're going to dominate guys on the boards and the paint. And you saw last night two parts of this Baylor team that got them past Villanova and then last night against Arkansas. One, best three-point shooting team in the country, and I told you on the show yesterday they were going to turn it around. Three of 19 against Nova to get to that game. Last night, 53% from the floor. And the other thing that Scott Drew, and he's always done this, is a focus on defense. And if, if you dove into the data, right, if you went to Ken Palm, if you looked at it, not a very good team defensively on paper. Mediocre. But it's been a weird year. It's hard to make assessments of these teams in this COVID year. And last week on Rider Than You, the, the program I, I host in the morning, so we'll play this for you here. And talking about defense, Scott Drew made the case, and it turned out to be pressing. It turned out just to be straight accurate. He made the case that his team's defense, right? We knew about the three-point shooting. His team's defense was a lot better than people thought. Well, I think defensively, since we went on that three-week pause, um, we're, 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 we were an elite defense, uh, uh, maybe the best in the country. And when you're on a pause that does that, a three-week pause, um, I thought we lost some of our communication rotations, uh, uh, ability to uh, uh, really impact the ball on the defensive side. So uh, looking forward to getting a couple days of practice to sharpen guys up on that. Uh, I know uh, 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 in tournaments, you're not going to make shots every night, so uh, you better defend every night if you want to advance. That's one of the things coming off that three-week pause. We really haven't had any practice days. So uh, uh, very blessed that we got a, a player-led team and a mature team that we can uh, uh, make adjustments and, and learn through videotape and walk through because uh, we, we haven't had a chance to practice much. But once we get a chance to get a couple days to rep some defensive things, I think that'll definitely help us come tournament time. Massive stretches yesterday. Numerous stretches where Baylor for three or four or five minutes and 26 seconds either didn't score at all or hit a free throw over the course, only a free throw or two over the course of that stretch. Defense kept them in the game. Are you craving some great protein after a good workout? Of course you are. Except this time, don't make a shake. Don't eat a bar. Grab a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Why Old Trapper? Well, it's awesome. And because Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty and tender, it's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a real wood fire. And on top of that, Old Trapper is a family-owned business that takes smoked beef extremely seriously, and you can, in fact, taste it in every single bite. I mean, who wants dried, rough beef in a bag? Nobody. Old Trapper is the real deal, and it comes in four amazing flavors. Old-fashioned, teriyaki, peppered, hot and spicy, if you need a little extra zing. So the next time you want a great protein and energy snack that you can have anytime, anywhere, reach for a bag of Old Trapper beef jerky. Look for it in major retail stores near you. If you don't see it, ask for it by name because no other jerky compares. Old Trapper, what's your beef? I did not. I think I even said I didn't bet the Baylor game. I thought they would cover. Should have had more guts. They did cover. But big win. And Oregon State, look, you, um, you covered yourself in, in self-respect, if not glory. Hell of a performance, hell of a performance by, by the Pac-12. And I, um, I'm, we'll get into it later in the show. I'm definitely betting USC plus eight and a half. I, I may get crazy. I wasn't sure if I wanted to go USC on the money line at plus 365, but then Ritt didn't like it, so it made me like it. 
which maybe I don't know if that's good or bad. I just like sometimes you just want to fade a guy. To be fair, that's really dumb because it's just the hot chocolate. It's just like I have gotten judgmental on the hot chocolate and I shouldn't. I've been sucked into it. We'll get to those games later in the show. UCLA Michigan's a mystery to me. I'll probably ask Brady McCullough. I just I do, and I watch Michigan. I, I I I don't know what to make of those teams week after week. Didn't think they were going to be here. What I do know is the Kelvin Sampson story is is a great story, for reasons that are that are complicated. Because and here's the quick summation if if, if you're not not up to date. Kelvin Sampson was a grinder of a coach for a while. Got his big break. Went to Oklahoma in nineteen I think nineteen ninety four. And built that program into an absolute powerhouse. Now, as you're aware, technology started to evolve. It affected everything, including recruiting. And Kelvin Sampson realized, I can just text these kids. I I can text kids. I can have access. It's how they're communicating. I can have an advantage. The NCAA figured that out, not necessarily as it relates to Kelvin Sampson, and said, you can't do it. There's limitations. And Kelvin Sampson said what a lot of us say when rules are stupid. To hell with it. I'm going to do it anyway. And he got caught. So he went to Indiana. Big time job, big time job, and then did it again. And, and so the NCAA slapped what's, what's called a show cause penalty on him, and that is in effect a five-year ban from the sport. It's the NCAA saying you'll have to show cause if you hire him, which is really the NCAA, the Fat Cats in, in Indianapolis saying, you know what, you know what the deal is, we're gonna use the full weight and power of our organization to crush you if you hire this guy. He was banished. He was banished, and. On the one hand, it's hard for me to feel sympathy for Kelvin Sampson. Don't do that. It's, a, it's against the rules. You're too smart to be this stupid. You're too successful to let your ambition lead you this far down the road of, of self-destruction. That's what he did. On the other hand, it's really hard for me to cheer on the NCAA for, um, for, for, for uh, getting on somebody for being hypocritical or, or trying to monopolize something. I just I, I can't get there. So the guy gets banished, and let me say this too, and I don't want to get too far afield here, but we're going to talk to Sean Watson later in the show. I, I, I can make you a guarantee, barring criminal charges and him going to prison, right, on what is a very much developing story of accusations, Deshaun Watson's not just going to play in the NFL again. He's probably going to play in the NFL game most of this, if not all of this upcoming season, and have a successful career. I mean, Mike Tyson's a guy who went to prison for something horrendous and is beloved again. Kobe Bryant was accused of something terrible. May he rest in peace. Ben Roethlisberger wasn't charged, but was accused of something terrible. What did Kelvin Sampson do? He texted texted kids. He, he broke a rule that was a rule, but it's not a rule anymore because it's stupid. So he goes into the wilderness. He goes to the NBA. He's an assistant coach. He's told these stories. Nobody pays him any mind. Nobody listens to him. It's a sympathy hire. It's a sympathy hire. Ends up at the Rockets. Bucks first, the Rockets. And, and he goes to Houston for a second chance. And I love everything about it because I want people to have second chances. I want people to have other opportunities. And we're not talking about a second chance where some kid at, I don't know, Oklahoma is caught on tape punching a woman in the face and he gets to go play in the National Football League. We're not talking about a second chance where somebody gets loaded, gets behind the wheel of a car, runs somebody over, kills them, apologizes, and gets to go back to their sport. We're talking about a guy that broke some rules that were stupid. Broke the rules. Kelvin Sampson's the kind of renaissance story, Phoenix from the ashes, second chance that, that I can relate to, you can relate to. We've all made stupid decisions. I mean, I've been an idiot before. My first big break in, in radio, I won't get into the details, but I made some really dumb choices because I didn't know what I was doing, right? Combination of being over your skis and being a little arrogant and, and loving it too much that, you, that you, you press too hard. Those are mistakes. 
And I'm a very lucky guy that I'm sitting in Jim Rome's chair with the opportunity to talk radio, that I, that I have a show. I root for guys to have second chances. Good for Kelvin Sampson. And, and I already thought this, right? I, I thought this about Sampson. I thought it the entire tournament. But I felt it last night when he got emotional postgame. I mean, that was, that was special, man. He's got his family as part of what he's about, working on his staff or working in that athletic department. And it's just a reminder. This dude can coach, right? It, it actually matters. I mean, for all the silliness, for the mistakes that he made, for the self-inflicted wound that, that he brought to his own career, and that I thought and most of us thought destroyed his career, it's a talented guy. Not some snake oil salesman. Not some guy peddling cash to kids out of the back of his car to get him to come to his university. This guy could coach. This guy could coach. And he's got Houston there. And that showdown, Houston against Baylor, the renaissance of a man's career when his own arrogance and ambition destroyed him, against the renaissance of a program that doesn't necessarily deserve a guy like Scott Drew to bring it back, that's a hell of a good story. I can root for that. I can get down with that. I need this in 2021. I need a Final Four game where whoever wins, I feel kind of good about the universe. I'm in. Good job, Kelvin Sampson. Good job, Scott Drew. Good job, Baylor. And I'm kind of down with whatever happens in, in these other games. Has there ever been a team as talented as Gonzaga that we all hold our breath for that feels like an underdog Cinderella? I mean, if they lose, it's going to be heartbreaking. But if they win, it's going to feel inevitable. When's that happened before? I guess only in this 2020, 2021 craziness that we're in. So I, I, I'm down with the Zags. And I like USC. I like Andy Enfield as a coach. Go get him. Go, go be surprising. I, I actually think USC is interesting against the Zags, as I said. They're re USC is really good defensively. They can confound great teams. Now, we'll see if they can confound great offenses. Gonzaga has a great offense. But if you can confound, confound Gonzaga a little bit, right? If you can put the Zags in the kind of place that Oregon State put Houston last night and that Arkansas put Baylor in where, you know, you, you make a run, you make them sweat a little bit with three or five or seven minutes left, uh, the history of a program and a place can, can weigh on you. It, it can. And so there's, a, I think there's an opening for USC. It's an uphill battle. There's an opening. I'm not buying UCLA against Michigan as much, but I'm down with, with either, either program. Nice to have a blue blood that I can root for with coaches that, that aren't going to come on and tell me how stupid I am and all the fans are. I mean, that's nice. That's refreshing. And, yes, Coach K, I'm talking to you. And, yes, uh, Coach Beheim, I'm talking to you too. And do your thing. Do your thing. I just I don't enjoy that, right? When you call a Dell Technologies advisor, you are talking to somebody who is not waiting for their turn to speak. No, they actually want to hear what you have to say. They're focused on you, ready to give advice on everything from laptops to the cloud and offer tailored solutions powered by Intel vPro platform to keep your small business ready for what's next. Our advisors listen so you know your small business needs have been heard. Call a Dell Technologies advisor today at 877-ASK-DELL. That's 877-ASK-DELL. Right now, on the Jim Rome Show, Mr. McCullough, the Michigan grad. Hello, my friend. Hey, man. I, was, was such, I always love your introductions, and it's, it's crazy that, that now basically the only time we talk is no. when, when you bring me onto the show, which is sad, but that's the way where we are in life. So. It's either hashtag bad friend or hashtag Brady never returns my calls. I'm not going to say, <laughs> I'm just going to put both those out there and let the audience guess. You know, it's like a choose your own adventure. If you believe Bill, go to page 33. You've been duped. Uh, Brady McCullough, let, let me ask you this. So, so I think I mentioned this story the last time you were on, on this show. I didn't realize your overwhelming affection and love for, for Michigan 
until I made the mistake at the Indianapolis airport many years ago when we were covering a, a, an NFL playoff game where I joked about it. Um, are, are you like okay? Are you at a fever pitch? I, I mean, what a run by a program that has been the only school in the celebrated Big Ten that's lived up to those expectations. Yeah, you know, we're just trying to stay on an even keel. Um, oh, having a lot, of, a lot of pep talks with myself to make sure that, you know, I don't make the mistake of overlooking UCLA. I tell myself, and I hope Jawan Howard is telling the guys, hey, that 11 next to UCLA's name, that's the number of national championships they've won. And that one next to Michigan's name is the number of national championships Michigan has won. So let's drop any pretense of there being some, you know, the UCLA's the underdog here. Uh, Michigan's got to go out and take it. And uh, as Juwan would say, uh, let them hang. Talking to Brady McCullough here on the show. Uh, It's interesting the decision that Indiana made on, on Mike Woodson. And I don't dislike it at all, Brady. I just, I hope that they're, that they're patient and they sort of recognize who they are now, what, what that program is now. And I'm wondering for, for you, and I know it's different. Juwan Howard was coaching, but also obviously had a very successful and prominent playing career at the NBA level and the collegiate level. But is there any, are there any parallels between what's happened to Michigan under Juwan Howard, what could happen in Indiana under their new head coach, and maybe the direction athletic directors will, will think to go as they try to scour the landscape for whoever they think can turn their programs around? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a natural comparison to make. Um, you know, you've had Juwan, uh, obviously, you know, get Michigan kind of back to the Elite Eight. You know, uh, one one big difference is, uh, and, and I was going to mention Patrick Ewing as well, getting Georgetown to the NCAA tournament, um, you know, showing these form, former players can come back uh, to their alma maters and have success. Uh, you know, one big difference here is, is Juwan wasn't taking over a, a program that's down. Indiana hasn't made the NCAA tournament, and I'm – in the something like five years. I'm not going to quote it exactly. Um, this is a program that's really underachieved. Um, you know, Michigan, Juwan got to step into a program that had you know, played in two national championship games um, and made three straight Sweet 16s, uh, a couple of Big Ten tournament titles of late. Um, so this was, he got to walk into a situation that was, that was well made to, to keep it going. And, and Juwan, I actually think, has risen the level, uh, particularly in recruiting. And, and even the way that this team plays together, this is um, John Beeline, I'm sure, uh, loves watching this team play basketball. Um, you know, so I don't think it's an exact comparison program-wise. Indiana's down. Their fan base is pretty much devastated. They're, it, it, honestly, it's a lot like Michigan football. Um, but they're even further down and, and to, for being Indiana and have this kind of a tournament drought. So Woodson has his work cut out for him, and he's also he's older. He's legitimately older than Juwan. I mean, Juwan's still got a pep in his step. You know, this is this is a job that's going to take a lot of energy and moxie uh, to get this thing up off the ground. Um, you know, I don't know much about Woodson to say whether he's up for it or not, but but it is this is a much tougher job for him for a lot of different reasons than it was for Juwan coming into Michigan. I love it. Brady McCullough just dashing the hopes of Hoosiers fans. Hoosiers fans, settle down. Anything I said positive, check it. Brady McCullough from the LA Times with um with some accuracy and some uh, and some context. Brady, let me let me do, the, do this to you, even though it's, it's sort of mean-spirited. Um, walk me through what a UCLA win looks like. And I would have asked you this if you weren't a Michigan grad. I'm just going to enjoy it, enjoy it more here. Well, like, what does if things go really well for the Bruins and what has been a pretty magical run continues? How does that continue tonight? Um, you know, a couple of things. 
Um, you know, Hunter Dickinson, the, the Michigan big freshman, um, he, he's definitely, as the year's gone on, he, he's had uh, kind of propensity for picking up some kind of stupid fouls. He's still kind of learning how the game's officiated. Um, UCLA should definitely aim to get him in foul trouble, get him out of the game, because if he's out there, UCLA doesn't have a guy who can really defend him. They're going to have to send double teams at him, which is going to open up open looks from the outside for the other players on Michigan's team. Uh, I, I assume Michigan will really try to play through him when he's out there, and, and he can do a lot of things. So, so I think that's a big one: is try to get Hunter in foul trouble. Um, and then the others, they got to shoot the lights out. You know, UCLA's got the the three wings: uh, you know, Juzang, Bernard, and uh, Yaquez. And uh, those guys have got to hit. They got to hit threes. They got to hit their open looks. Uh, they, it can't be a cold shooting day for them. Um, and then I think you know, Michigan can play a number of tempos, but I think Michigan likes to play slow, but UCLA can really needs to slow this thing down. Um, you know, play it in the half court. Um, you know, don't let Michigan get easy points in transition um, and build momentum that way. Um, so just yeah, off the top of my head, I, those would be the, the things to, to, to go for if you're UCLA. Brady, just as the, on the, on the, that's, that's incredibly, that's a great answer. And it's very professional. And it's why you're at the LA times doing what you're doing. On just the fan side, on the Brady McCullough, Michigan grad fan side, are are you feeling comfortable? Are you feeling confident? Like, where's your where's your headspace at on the fan side? Uh, I would say that you know definitely like this is a good thing. It's not uh, I'm not in living in dread or anything like that. Again, this is UCLA. Like, this is not oh uh, Michigan is a one seed and so they have so much to lose. I mean, this is a chance to beat freaking UCLA to go to a, your third Final Four in the last eight years, nine years, whatever it is. Um, there's a ton out there for the program. If UCLA pulls this off, you know, this is not a, a devastation. This team has had a remarkable run. Uh, they won a Big Ten championship. Juwan Howard's got it going. Um, and they've gotten this far and, and beaten some really good teams without Isaiah Livers in the lineup. That's, you know, definitely one of their top two to three players, uh, senior leader. Um, so to have gotten to this point where you're on the, the precipice, I mean, of course, it'd be crushing to, to not get that chance to play on Saturday night. But, but at the same time, this is honestly, it's, it's a house money type of situation, even for Michigan. Brady McCullough here on the Jim Rome Show. Bill Ryder filling in. You can read Brady at the LA Times. You can follow him on Twitter at Brady McCullough. USC is, is a very good team defensively. In fact, I saw a great Ken Palm stat that the best team in the history of college basketball at defending the two-point shot, any two-point shot percentage-wise, is USC. And the best team in the history of college basketball from an efficiency perspective, Brady McCullough, at, at converting two-point baskets mm-hmm. is Gonzaga. So it's an interesting matchup. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I know the Zags are massively talented, and they are, I believe, eight-and-a-half-point favorites. But to what degree do you think USC is capable tonight of, of, of shocking, I think it would be fair to say shocking the world, shocking college basketball? I think I think they're definitely capable, and that's not a bold a bold statement, you know, based on how how they played in this tournament. Uh, you know, blowing out Kansas. This is not a, a it wasn't a great Kansas team at all, but but to still to embarrass them like that uh, on their way out, and then to to beat a you know an Oregon team that looked lights out against Iowa, um, and really make that just not much of a contest again. Uh, you know, USC. It, it is going to be interesting to watch Gonzaga has not had any resistance. I mean, Creighton does not play good defense. Um, Oklahoma certainly not known for their, for their defensive acumen either. So they will not have experienced anything in months anyway that remotely resembles what USC can throw at them with Evan Mobley uh, swatting, you know, just his presence in there looming anytime the ball comes into the lane. 
Um, and and these, this is the kind of moment that, you know, these games, they get, there, there are these moments of tightness. And, and Gonzaga hasn't felt many of those. And I expect they're going to feel some today. At some point, a little doubt, a little hesitation. Um, and, and USC is the type of defense that can make, kind of crunch these moments that are already so tight mentally. Um, they can put an extra level crunch on it and that Gonzaga may already be feeling of, wow, we have all this expectation, three wins away from an undefeated season. Everyone thinks we're going to do this. Um, yeah, this is going to be a real test of Mark Few's ability to get his guys to, to not think about all that stuff and just play their game and not worry about the stakes. Um, and USC is the type of team that can make that even harder to do. Brady McCullough unknowingly here on the Jim Rome Show talking me into a sizable wager on USC to uh, cover. <laughs> you just did. I'm not going to hold you responsible, but that's it. That pushed me over the edge. You, you, you mentioned um, not having faced a level of resistance that's going to approximate what USC is going to throw at the Zags. I, I was thinking along those lines and trying to figure out where, where my head's going to go on Baylor-Houston, knowing that I'm going to root for Baylor, that if my if we if Baylor wins the whole thing, my daughter wins the, the bracket challenge in her middle school I filled out. And, and I just like Scott Drew, Brady, as you know. I yeah, just, that's I, your guy, man. That's, that's my dude. been your guy for a long time, like uh, him and Frank Martin. Yeah, I love Scott. Great guy. Great guy. Um, Baylor's uh, Baylor's been tested, right? Arkansas made a, just Arkansas, obviously a higher seed. Houston hasn't played a seed that wasn't a double-digit seed yet. Baylor is a one seed. That is going... That is going to change. Now, Houston's a great rebounding team, and Baylor, I think, got exposed a little bit, certainly on the off- in terms of offensive rebounds last night. They they withstood a couple runs, and I'm just biased. But do you do you buy the notion that there's an advantage for Baylor since Houston hasn't played higher seeds like you would expect on the way on a run to a Final Four? Yeah, yeah, there, there's a definite advantage there. Um, for Baylor to have to go through Villanova, you know, the one, two of the last three NCAA tournaments that were, that were staged, um, you know, I believe there are maybe two of the last four, but anyway, this has a championship program and, and to, to kind of have to battle through that, to not play very well in that game. Uh, some of your best players not have their best shooting nights, Butler and, and Teague, uh, to play through that and, and all the pressure on them to get there this year and beat Villanova. That's such a confidence building win you could see it in the way they played in the elite eight like a like kind of a that something had been lifted and they just went out there and balled last night that was a really fun game to watch both those teams so many great guards just flying up and down the floor uh, that was great college basketball um you know and I, I just think baylor they are on another level right now um and i think they, their confidence is only growing um the stage is is there and i think houston just it's not that they couldn't hang with Baylor. They've got plenty of talent and a lot of good guards, too. Um, but, but just, uh, again, the, that, that word resistance, I think it's a lot more of a factor for Houston. Um, you know, they've obviously played a much tougher, con- in a comp- tougher conference than the, than the WCC, I think, with um, the AAC. But, but still, and within this tournament, I mean, they were about to lose to Rutgers. I mean, they were, it was, that was looking real dark for them. Um, and, and they, you know, just to fight that hard to just even beat Rutgers to, um, you know, I, I just think, yeah, I think your, your point is right. I mean, Baylor is the, the elite team here. Um, Houston is a good team. Uh, I'm not sure that their ceiling is going gonna, is gonna to get them in position to, to beat Baylor, though. Hey, Brady McCullough from the LA Times. Before, before we let you go, and I've already sort of given my perspective on this, so I just want yours in a vacuum. What, is your, what do you make of Kelvin Sampson, who, in effect, 
what, 13 years ago, was banished from college basketball. A five-year show cause is a pretty serious thing to slap down on, on, on someone. Not just back, right? Not just back, but, but back in a Final Four, at a Final Four. What do you just make of, of that story and that part of, of, of this March Madness? I, I love this story because I just think it's that, you know, he got caught up back in the day when people actually still, like, gave a flip about NCAA rules. You know, I mean, getting getting docked for, you know, excessive texting, you know, or phone calls to to recruits. I mean, we got guys coaching right now who haven't even been fired or disciplined by their programs of any, you know, with any weight to it, who are caught up in FBI investigations. I mean, Sean Miller's still coaching Arizona somehow. Will Wade is still coaching LSU, and they, you know, nearly made it to the Sweet 16 this year. So Samson's like this from this bygone era where people actually gave a flip about these these ridiculous NCAA rules. Now no one really cares about it whatsoever. The NCAA is kind of just viewed, you know, rightfully as, as a joke, who's just a cartel just trying to you know make money off of the idea of amateurism. And Samson gets back in the game and he's in the Final Four. I mean, it's, that's awesome. And I honestly I wouldn't be surprised. This is I have no inside information here, but. But it would make a lot of sense to me for, you know, Oklahoma to give him a call and say, you want to come back? Um, let's, let's fill it up again. So, um, you know, he, I think it's a really cool story. I love that answer almost as much as I love the degree to which Irish people strangely took to Brady McCullough when he traveled to Ireland <laughs> for the very first time. Guinness or no Guinness, it was a real thing. Brady McCullough from the LA Times, my friend. Uh, dude, I love your success. You deserve all of it. Thanks for, uh, thanks for making us all a little smarter here on the Jim Rome Show. Hey, it was great to be here, Bill. Let's let's try to get together once the pandemic hopefully keeps cooling down. Hashtag bad friend or hashtag Brady doesn't return my calls. I'll let you be the judge. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. All right, bye. Bye, dude. Avery, what's going on, man? Thanks for uh, thanks for being here. Hey, Bill. I'm glad to be on with you. Um, I hope uh, my buddy Jim Rome is doing well, but uh, I'm glad to be on with you today. Thanks for having me. I, I appreciate you. So you got to do some um, – some some work on some of these broadcasts in this tournament. Did it did it feel different? I mean, was it did it feel markedly different this year, given the the unique nature of how the tournament was set up and the fact there wasn't one last season? Yeah, it did feel a little bit different. And you know, for me, this was my first time uh, being elevated to uh, you know call some of the games. And I had two of the first four games with uh, Texas Southern, Mount St. Marys, and. Norfolk State and uh, uh, App, App State, uh, and then was fortunate to call that Oklahoma-Missouri game and, and North Texas upset of Purdue. But the, the quality of play on the court I thought was exceptional, uh, especially given all that these young men and student athletes and all of the staff have gone through and the folks, the medical folks that have uh, helped with keeping all of the teams healthy from a protocol standpoint overall. I know we had, you know, VCU – uh, got knocked out because of the protocols. But overall, all of the different moving parts, I, I thought the tournament was outstanding. I just read something uh, today where the viewership was up, um, and they set records um, and with the Sweet 16, both on CBS and TNT. So a lot of positives. It, it did feel a little bit different since you didn't have as many fans in the stands. But I thought overall the quality of play was exceptional. Avery Johnson here on the Jim Rome Show. Bill Ryder filling in for for Jim. Coach, it, it's interesting being on the West Coast, having folks year after year tell me how overlooked the West Coast is, and then at least this year having the Pac-12 certainly 
make that make that point in their performances. USC, UCLA tonight each, respectively, with chances to move on to the Final Four. And I know Oregon State went down last night, but they put up a hell of a fight against Houston, made a nice comeback, certainly, certainly made a name for themselves in this tournament and for their conference. Do you buy the notion that just because the Pac-12 is on the West Coast and people aren't paying attention or, or sleeping, that they are perennially undervalued and underappreciated? Yeah, I, I think yes and no. You know, yes, because of the time change and, um, you know, folks don't get a chance to see them because a lot of times, you know, the games start at 10 o'clock, you know, East Coast time and um, and sometimes even later. But, you know, they have quality teams. And I just think it was just a year where they got hot at the right time. And, you know, who knows what would happen next year. The Big Ten flamed out this year with Ohio State and Illinois, uh, Purdue losing early. So, uh, but next year, who knows? Maybe the Big Ten comes on. And, and But I think it's all cyclical, and you can't overreact one way or another. I know our buddy Bill Walton is going crazy with, you know, how UCLA and the Pac-12 is playing, and he's he's basically riding on this, you know, horse now. But I just think um, it's it, it could go different ways. You know, years the SEC, you know, it had some teams really advancing deep when I was coaching in the SEC, but, you know, Alabama got knocked out by UCLA and Tennessee lost early, you know, LSU, uh, then, you know, Auburn didn't even make the tournament this year. Kentucky didn't even make the tournament. So, but, you know, things could change uh, next year, so we don't want to overreact one way or another. Coach, it has been one of the most dramatic and upset-filled tournaments we've ever seen. I mean, the first weekend literally had – if you added all the seeds up, the, the highest number of seeds, the highest proportion of, of upsets we've ever seen. Oral Roberts was a really good look away from, from from moving on. And yet, if the favorites win tonight, right, if the Zags beat USC and Michigan beats UCLA, we're going to have a one, a one, a one, and a two in the Final Four. For people that haven't been paying attention or look back years later on Wikipedia, it's going to look like it was all chalk when it hasn't been. So are you feeling any kind of upset? Are you feeling maybe that USC defense can confound the Zags? Are you feeling like the Bruins can keep the magic going? Or do you feel, or do you think, uh, you know, nice little Cinderella story, but Cinderella's over, it's time for the big boys? Yeah, it's time for the big boys. <laughs> <laughs> it's time for the big boys. And I think the Zags, you know, run away with this game tonight. Um, and, you know, they're so versatile and can score in a lot of different ways. And, you know, Michigan, wow. You know, considering what they've gone through without one of their best players, and Juwan Howard played for me when I was coaching the Mavericks, and I'm awfully proud of him. And and you know, not not many teams left in the tournament have a Hunter Dickinson <laughs> inside, and their stout guard play uh, on the perimeter. Uh, so it, it, I think the favorites win tonight, uh, and it and basically what you said, one one and two. Uh, in the final four, I'm I'm really impressed with Houston. Houston got a little. Stuck, stuck with that one-three-one uh, half-court press from Oregon State, and they struggled to score. But I'm sure if somebody else runs a one-three-one press, Baylor, they'll be much more prepared. Baylor's outstanding with Jared Butler, a kid that I had for a couple of months at Alabama before he transferred to Baylor. So I think the favorites win, and I think we're going to have just an unbelievable Final Four with a lot. With both of those games are going to be close games. Coach, one of the um, one of the realities of, of coaching, certainly at the college level, is that there is a there is a varying degree of patience 
for head coaches that don't have massive success or recent success. Scott Drew, for, for circumstances that are unique to Baylor, perhaps got five years, right? It was his fifth year when he had his first winning season and made the tournament, and he's been there for almost 20 years. They've been very patient. It's an open question whether or not Frank Martin's going to be the South Carolina head coach, which I think is part of the reason that he was scheduled to be on the show yesterday and wasn't, wasn't able to, to, to come on the program. And you had a run at Alabama, didn't get forever. Uh, obviously, you're no longer there, but you recruited some of the guys who were a part of a pretty nice run for Alabama. Are you able to just fully enjoy it, or, or is there a little bit of a bittersweet reality for someone in your position where you had a hand in those those guys who were there, but you obviously didn't get to see at least their careers through? I think every coach that's been in my situation responds, you know, different ways, and it just depends on, you know, how you separated from the university or what are all the circumstances but when I watched the, the the kids that we had a chance to coach for a couple of years with Patty and Herb Jones and Reese and kids that we recruited, Jaden Shackelford and uh, you know, you know Jawan Gary, I, I, I'm just so happy for those kids. And it's like a sense of gratification and joy to see that they're living out their dreams and they were able to participate in the tournament. Uh, uh, you know, and for Herb and Patty and Reese twice. You know, the time we upset Virginia Tech and lost to Villanova, and they had a chance to go to the Sweet 16, and the other kids experienced it for the first time. I, it's nothing but joy. There's no bitterness. Uh, I, I've had, I've been on different shows and different articles have been written. Why, why do I need to be bitter? I had a really good run for four years. The clock strike, struck midnight. Time to go in a different direction for whatever reason. No hard feelings. My son is a graduate of Alabama. We, he, he had some moments on the court that we can look back and be proud of. He has an undergraduate degree and a master's degree from the university. I still have a lot of friends that work there and that live in uh, Alabama, and, and specifically Tuscaloosa. So just you're looking forward to going back to visit some of my friends. So was really happy. They added to the roster, uh, you know, changed philosophically how they wanted to shoot threes a little bit more a lot more, rather, and it worked, and they got to the Sweet 16 and had a chance to make it to the Elite, elite Eight, and unfortunately it didn't happen. Hey, Avery Johnson here on the program. Coach, I want to sneak in an NBA question or two. So this is the last College Hoops question. Uh, I'm a father. I have two kids. My daughter's a middle school kid, and um, I'm really eyeing some, some, some dad credit because I filled out her bracket for her, and if Baylor wins the whole thing, we're going to win the uh, the middle school bracket challenge with which my daughter's apparently talked a lot of smack to a lot of kids at her school that that's going to occur. So just give me the odds that I can um, I can be dad of the year here already in, in, in March. Well, you, you have some really good odds because I think the teams, uh, you know, Michigan wins, obviously, you know, uh, Baylor wins, Houston. I, 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 any of those teams I think could potentially beat Gonzaga. Um, I, I don't think it's good. You know, even though I picked Gonzaga to win the tournament, um, I, I think those teams are teams with elite level experience, talent, um, quality depth. Uh, they they do a really good job of rebounding the ball. The Baylor's the best three point shooting team left in in, in the tournament you know, that will be in the Final Four. Houston is the best rebounding team. Uh, Michigan has the size and strength and muscle uh, all over the floor. So I, I think you have a chance to be daddy of the year. 
I'll I'll give you you know about a forty percent chance. I'll take it. Oh, they've made my day. Avery Johnson here on the show, college hoops and NBA analyst. You can catch him a lot of places, including. CBS Sports HQ, where sometimes he's forced to pair up with me, Streaming Sports Network, check it out, Paramount Plus, and it just streams cbsportshq.com backslash live, cbsports.com backslash live, all, all those good spots. Coach, I had an interesting conversation with um, Howard Beck about this yesterday. He gave one answer. I had a conversation with an executive three days ago. He gave a very different answer. So I'll ask you, I'm very curious. In a very crowded MVP field this year, and, and I may vote, you may have a vote, we'll sort of see what, what the NBA does. For you, is James Harden a top candidate, or is he disqualified because of his time and tenure in Houston and the fact he forced himself out? Where do you, how do you assess the Harden season and how he got to Brooklyn and trying to figure out who the MVP in the NBA is this year? Right now, I don't care if James Harden played for four different teams this year. With the numbers he's putting up, and especially on a a team that's could very well represent the Eastern Conference in the NBA Finals. Um, he should be a significant player in the NBA conversation. You know, the triple doubles, the the assists, the, the you know, he competes on defense now. So whether he's putting up these numbers uh, with the Nets or had he stayed in Houston, they sure surely wouldn't have lost 20 games in a row had he been there because you can count on James Harden to win 12 out of those 20 games and not lose 20 in a row because he's that much of a difference maker. But he should be in the conversation. Uh, I think had LeBron James not gotten injured, uh, you know, he would have been, you know, more in that conversation. But um, I don't know if James Harden the favorite, but I would have him in, in, probably in my top two or three. Yeah, it's, it's crowded this year. It's tough with the injuries. Avery Johnson, it's always an absolute pleasure to talk to you. Thank you for uh, for being on the Jim Rome Show. Hey, Bill, look forward to see- spending some more time with you on CBS Sports HQ, buddy. Me too, Coach. Thank you. Avery Johnson on the show. Good night now!